welcome you again to Refuge City. My name is Matthew, and uh, if we haven't met, I'd love to meet you uh, after the service. I want to invite you to um, grab your Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to finish up chapter 1 today, if you can believe it. Um, I told y'all, when I go through a book of the Bible, I'm taking my time because, you know, I ain't got nowhere else to go, and, and neither do you. So, you know... We're in this for the long haul, and this is probably going to take us through the entire summer. Um, so Philippians chapter 1, and I'm going to pick it up in verse 27. Um, if you don't have a Bible, be on your screen. You could also, uh, someone may need assistance over here. Uh, you could also uh, download your Bible, all right? And we also have free ones out in the, the lobby. You can grab one. It's Okay. I feel your pain like that junk happens to me. And Anyway, all right, let's read uh, God's word this morning. Philippians 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Uh, let's just pray again over the reading of God's word this morning. God, again, I thank you. Uh, for your word. Um, perhaps someone has come in here looking for some divine revelation or word. I just thank you, God, that you just spoke to us through your word. Uh, your word is the authoritative word of God, and uh, we just thank you, Lord. And I pray that it would pierce our hearts and, and grow us more into who you want us to be, and that when we leave this place, we would see and magnify and glorify how great God is in Jesus' name. Amen. Lots of stuff happening in just these few little verses that we tend to probably would overlook otherwise. We can pick through several things. We can go with the gospel. We can go with the unity. We can go with this idea of striving together. We can go with suffering uh, and, and what I think, what I want to do, I think there's this really good idea being presented to us, and it's the idea of being a citizen of the kingdom of God. I think there's an overarching thing throughout Philippians, and that's probably one of those themes. And uh, some people would take joy, some people would take other things, but really Paul is, is leading in, leaning into this idea of what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. We know that this is in Rome, and at this period of time, Rome is a very, in fact, at that time, the most powerful empire that anyone could encounter. In fact, it's said that at its epitome, it was stretched from England all the way to India. And this was led by not a peaceful effort by kind men. This was led by the sword. And so they weren't around taking territories by offering things for the people. No, this was very barbaric in how they would conquer uh, the land 
that they had. And so you had emperors who were tyrants and who were men who were just vile and disgusting. However, there's this thing that you can learn about from the Roman empires. They had this Pax Romana or, or the Roman peace. And so what this brought, you know, you know when you think of empires, you, you do think of the Roman Empire, you think of swords and blood and gore and just vile, disgusting things. But, but then you had this idea of peace in the land. In fact, being a citizen of Rome, man, you got to be a beneficiary of peace. Now, we think peace in terms of the United States of America type peace, where we enjoy our liberties, where if we don't like the president, then we'll just vote him out, right? Hashtag not my president. And then we'll just do all of those different things. But if you had that view of a tyrannical emperor, notably Nero, then he'd just behead you. But if you're a Roman citizen, you had somewhat of an idea that you're in peace mode, and that's okay. So if you're a Roman citizen, there's actually a benefit to it. Now, in regards to Philippi, Philippi is a colony of Rome. And so if you're a colony of Rome, uh, I know this is history, and some of you are like, really, dude? (laughs) This is boring, but I've got a point to make, okay? And so Philippi, a colony of Rome, they got to enjoy all of the benefits from being a citizen of the Roman Empire. In fact, it is said that a lot of the people who were citizens of Philippi were likely veterans of, who participated in the tyrannical expansion of Rome. And so you had some pretty vile and disgusting people who were citizens in the colony of Rome. And there were sayings throughout the Roman Empire. Uh, it, Caesar is Kairos, or, or Caesar is Lord. Another saying that was uh, notable around this time, that there is um, no name under heaven by which men could be saved other than Caesar. Do those two terms sound familiar to anyone? Speaking of familiar terms, there was this um, Greek word, euangelion, all right? And anytime I use the word, a Greek term, it does not... M- mean that you have to know Greek in order to understand your Bible. I just Google this stuff, okay? Like, you want to know how I found out all that stuff about Rome? You Google, okay? Uh, or the Greek, you Google it, okay? And so, you and Galeon was this political term that the Roman Empire would use. You know what this word means? It means gospel. So, the Christians stole a political term that where the Roman Empire would use. So anytime there was a, either a peaceful transition of power or sometimes a non-peaceful transition of power in Rome, they would have these messengers that would go out to the regions and proclaim the empire is good because Nero is Lord. The empire is still intact. Because now we still have an emperor who's leading us. And so what this would cause in the Roman citizens is they would they begin to view the emperor as some type of deity. And they would declare, Nero is God. Nero is Lord. America's quite different, right? In fact, I would suggest that we are galaxies apart when you're thinking in terms of context with what is happening in Philippi and in Rome. 
And so I wanted us to get this context in mind because this is going to be very significant to what Paul is saying here. So look at, let me, let me just kind of dive in and let's go through all of these things. And I've got just a few thoughts uh, that I have, but don't worry, those few thoughts have subpoints to them, so they won't be fast at all. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, this word, only let your manner, it could be summarized or it could be said because how it translates is live as a citizen. So at this point of the letter, it's being read to the church of Philippi, to citizens, most likely a lot of them are citizens. We know they're citizens because of Lydia's there. You go back to Acts 16, we know that the Roman guard is there who was transformed by the gospel. And so you've got to know when Paul said, live as citizens, there were some eyebrows that were raised. There was, there was a, a gut turning, like, wait a minute, hold on just a second, homie. You just told me to live as citizens of the Evangelion of Christ? Bro, I'm a citizen of Rome. Now, this had huge, this was like dropping a bomb on them. Because they enjoyed all of the benefits of being a Roman citizen. You've got to know Lydia's in there, likely, probably, they're meeting in her house. And she's benefiting from being a Roman citizen. And Paul just said, no, 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 no. Your allegiance isn't to Caesar or to the emperor. Your allegiance is to Christ the king. Live as citizens to God. Rome is no longer where your citizenship lies. The kingdom of God is where your citizenship lies. Man, there, there were probably some people in that room, I imagine, who were looking at the guy, reading the letter, and just wanted to shoot him. Nah, man, <laughs> you don't know what that means. You know, like in America, when we, when we hear citizenship, you know, some of us may be kind of meh about it because we really, we've been born, we were raised here, we're just like, yeah, okay, well, what does that mean? I get to vote and I pay my taxes? Great, Right? Home of the brave and the free, great. And, and then we'll celebrate every 4th of July. But for them, I think it was probably, it meant a little bit more than how we view citizenship. I mean, is America currently right now waving the sword at our borders and telling them, if you do not bow to our president, then we will slay you? No. You had that in Rome. And so when Paul says live as citizens, this is heavy. Live under Christ's rule, not Caesar's rule. Go and proclaim the euangelion, the gospel of Christ is king. Man, and these people were like, hmm. You know what this means, right, Paul? And Paul, I think, understood this. I think um, it's said that Paul likely got out of jail before he was put back into jail, and then Nero uh, chopped his head off. So Paul understood, like, what this meant for them. So he got it. Live as citizens of the king, that Jesus is fully God, fully man, and he came 
and he lived a perfect sinless life and he died on a cross and he bore your shame and he took on your sins and he took on the weight of the sins of the world and he did not stay dead three days later he rose again go proclaim that message that's what Paul is telling them and he goes on to say in 27 so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Call to stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together side by side for the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I imagine different people are around in this room and they're, they're hearing this message they're like okay so now i gotta deny my citizenship to rome and now i've got to go tell this message that's going to get me killed and now i've got to be unified with these folks think of, remember the room all right read the room all right you've got the rich lady who is probably next to somewhere with the former demon-possessed girl who was a slave. And you got to know, man, some of these people, if they were former slaves, they're probably looking at these rich folk and going, mm-hmm. Oh, you living it up. Okay, I see you over there. And then, not only that, is you have this former guard, Roman guard, who probably snatched the slaves around. And so you got to know there was a little bit of hostility in this room. In fact, we'll later discover in chapter 4 that there was some arguments in this small church in Philippi. And Paul said, I'm calling you to lock arms with each other and to strive for the gospel and to live in unity for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It goes on to say in 28, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is the clear sign to them of their destruction. I really love that, all right? That sounds morbid, but I love it. But of your salvation and that from God. We're not sure who he's talking about. These opponents likely are the people who are persecuting the church. But when I read this, I see that this is just a prophetic word. He's like, yo, their destruction's coming, man. Y'all know where the Roman Empire is? Oh, let me, let me phrase it like this. How many people are a part of the Roman Empire today? Zero. He's like, yeah, they're about to be devastated to where there is no one a part of this empire. And you got to know, when they heard this, man, Rome was the bedrock. It was important. There's no longer going to be a emperor? This was a shockwave to them. Yeah, and so, so now, if you go to Rome, I, I had the privilege of going there. I didn't pay for it. Somebody else paid for it uh, because I was in college. And so we went to Rome, and you, you, you know what I saw? I saw a half kind of coliseum that was broken from earthquakes, been there for a couple thousand years. But you know what I saw in that Colosseum where my brothers and sisters and where your brothers and sisters were devoured by lions? Do you know what stands on that Colosseum today? The cross of Christ. Rome did not last, but now there are upwards to one to two billion of us. So Paul is just making this fabulous jab to the emperor, like he's about to be destroyed. 
and the kingdom of Jesus Christ will last forever. Look at verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you have, that you saw I had, and now here that I still have. Now, there are these benefits um, to believing in the saving work of Christ, but Paul's making a point here like, okay, so let me just warn you. Now that you're no longer citizens of Rome and citizens of the kingdom of God, and and you're going to go herald out that Jesus is the true king, just know that you're going to suffer. And for Paul, he knew what this meant. For the church, they knew what this meant. So I have a few thoughts that that I was reading through this and just trying to process uh, through and and so just two thoughts actually one question one encouragement and then like I said the few bullet points so these are really long thoughts um, the first thing is am I living like a citizen of the kingdom of God am I living like a citizen of the kingdom of God one theologian put it like this we do not behave in order to go to heaven as though we could be saved by our works we behave because our names are already written in heaven and our citizenship is in heaven. It is worth remembering that the world around us knows only the gospel that it sees in our lives and hears from our mouths. Am I living like a citizen of the kingdom of God? Here's how that, that kind of translates. What does that mean to live as a citizen of God? I think the first thing that that means is that our allegiance is to King Jesus. That's where our allegiance is. Our allegiance is through King Jesus. Again, context uh, from, from Philippi to us enjoying the benefits of God's good grace of meeting in a church in a theater. Again, galaxies apart. But I think there's this pressure that the Philippians are feeling when Paul is saying, you are no longer a citizen of Rome, but now a citizen of the kingdom of God. And I think that there's a pressure that we can still feel ourselves that they perhaps felt. In fact, I would suggest that this pressure, um, it it comes across all throughout in human history, and that's the pressure of conforming. It's the pressure of conforming to cultural standards. It's the pressure that Paul is warning them against. That you are no longer to conform yourself as a Roman citizen, but now you are to conform yourself as a citizen of the King Jesus. Can, is that, can we feel that pressure also today? There's a pressure on the Christian Church of America right now to conform to the woke agenda. To conform to cultural secular standards. There's a pressure on the church. There's a pressure on the church, and while if you don't conform, you may not be thrown in a pit of lions, but there's a pressure that says, well, if I don't, then I could likely be canceled, or I could likely um, be shamed, or likely be talked about. It's the pressure of conformity that they felt, and I believe, and I would suggest, that humans throughout all of history has felt pressure to conform to the secular society around them. 
there's a secular empire today, and from my observation, it's a, it's a different twist than that of the Roman Empire that demands your allegiance be pledged to uh, the emperor. Today, there's a demand to pledge your allegiance to yourself, that you are your king, that you are your God, that you determine what's right, what's wrong. You determine what's absolute truth and what is not. You are your God. That's what secular cultural, uh, this idea um, has for us. It's all about you. But the gospel and the New Testament and the Old Testament would call that foolishness. Because if your allegiance is to King Jesus, then you're going to bow your knee, bow your head, and pledge your allegiance to him and him alone. And you're going to profess with your self-exalting tongue, Jesus is king, I am not. Where does your allegiance lie? Is your allegiance to cultural standards? Is your allegiance to yourself? Or is your allegiance to Christ the king? The second thing I think about this uh, when, I'm, when I'm reading through, and especially in context of what's happening here, about what does it look like to look like a citizen of the kingdom of God? I think you have to take this uh, for what it's worth, that God's people are our people. In other words, I'm talking about the church. And if that sounds offensive, like I'm trying to um, not include others, well, I am. I do mean it like that. God's people are our people. Notice what he told him. He said, he said, I need you to strive for the unity, lock your arms together, and strive for the gospel of Christ. So, so you could be in unity with the church, but let me just throw this out there. Uh, because of the standard by which we live, we can't be in unity with someone who doesn't believe in Christ. Go, go try it. Go try it. You'll start an argument really fast. Go try to be in unity with someone who believes something contrary to what the Bible would teach. I would love for you to come back and tell me how it worked out for you. I'm not trying to say it's us versus them. Not at all. I mean, there, there's a call in this to go and proclaim the message and the gospel of Christ. But the call for us is to stay in unity with each other. Because Paul knows that it's this unity that's going to form this bond that's going to cause us to win this battle that we're in. Paul sees the, the implications of, of how sometimes we want to do things on our own. And he's like, you can't do this by yourself. You've got to strive for the unity. God's people are our people. And, and thirdly on this this point here, uh, he says, strive for the gospel. I love this word. This word, uh, again, I'm using Greek for you, and just forgive me. It's, the Greek is soneth leo, and that's, this means that you're striving together as athletes. All right, now I know a lot of you ain't like me, and you're, you're an athlete, right? That's not true. I'm not an athlete. Um, like Paul's vision, and, and I would suggest like God's vision for his church is like, I want you to see the church as if you are a team in a game. Like you are a team 
inside of a game and you're fighting and you're playing together and no one person is more significant than the other person and that each and every one of you have a part to play in this game. That's the idea Paul is presenting. And if you were the the listener of this letter, a game for them, like this could mean death, all right? I mean, you had some very intense games going on in first century. And Paul's like, listen, there's no person in this room who is better than the other person. You all have a part to play with this. And if you don't play your part, you're only going to handicap the team. That's how significant this is. Does that not speak of our church? Of the universal church? That each and every one of you has a gift set that God has wired you in such a way that he didn't wire you just so you can like be some celebrity or superstar. He wired you to be about a team and to play with a team. He gifted you with whatever gift God has given you to be a part of a team. And if you don't know your, your gift, then man, get involved in the church and you will quickly learn your gift. Strive, you lock arms together. You're part of this. You're no longer pledging your allegiance to Nero, to the Roman Empire. You're pledging your allegiance to King Jesus. The last thought I had uh, with this, a bit of an encouragement, I think, is I haven't really dealt with um, suffering. Paul says something very powerful. Um, right after verse, well, right at 29, he says, as you suffer for his sake, engaged in this same conflict. See what's happening here? You know what Paul is saying? He's like, I just want you to know you are not alone. You may feel, that's exactly what the enemy wants to do, by the way. He wants you to get isolated and separate yourself, like while you're suffering, just so you could feel, see, nobody cares about me. I call it the Eeyore effect, right? Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'll go eat worms, right? (laughs) Paul's like, no, 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 no. This isn't how it works. Like, I'm giving you a charge that's going to affect you and possibly kill you. And I want you to know that in your suffering, you are not alone in this. Suffering is a very complex concept, whether it's been dealt to you by your sin, someone else's sin, by a demonic force, maybe you're suffering. Um, I don't know. It could be all of those types of things. We know that God is governing over every square inch of the cosmos, and he knows about your suffering. But just know you're not doing it alone. This is pretty grotesque um, in context because this is important. You've got to understand because, again, I say all of these things just so we can kind of feel like the weight of this. In, In around 64, uh, A.D., Nero is such a wicked dude, uh, kind of the guy that you just see and you're like, oh, I know he's a turd, right? And this is Nero, right? There was a fire that broke out in Rome, and just because Nero's such a wicked tyrant, um, Nero was like, I'm going to blame the Christians. And so he, he could have slaughtered up to hundreds and not thousands of them, even though it wasn't them who started 
the fire. Wicked guy. In fact, um, a Roman historian, uh, he wrote this, a vast multitude were not only put to death, but put to death with insult. And that they were either dressed up in the skins of beasts to perish by the worrying of dogs, or else put on crosses to be set on fire. And when the daylight fell to be burned for use as lights by night, Nero had thrown open his gardens for that spectacle and was giving a circus expedition. Paul says not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. Feel that. This is what they are up against. These men and women were willing to suffer for the sake and the cause of Christ. Who refused King Nero and pledged their allegiance to King Jesus, knowing that they could possibly be set on fire. How's that for encouragement this morning? And so here we are 2,000 years reaping the benefits of what our brothers and sisters went through. Is your allegiance to King Jesus? Is your allegiance to King Jesus? Even if it meant... Now, I believe that we're in an incredible uh, time in history uh, for the church, but I also know that living in America has kind of uh, given us this spoiled type of behavior when it comes to the things of God's church. Like, like I said, like we're here in a theater. I think that if, if Paul wrote, oh, by the way, 2,000 years later, there's going to be some people that are meeting in a theater. They would laugh. What? They're going to be meeting in a theater? So we get tossed to the lions, set on fire, and there's some jokers that get, they get to meet in a theater. Gee, thanks, God. Is your allegiance to King Jesus. And so what, what happens then if the foundations of America crack? What happens then if we get thrown and we get called to Iran? What happens then if, if you or someone you love who's a believer gets called to China? Where right now, if you don't pledge your allegiance to those wicked people, you will be silenced by death. What happens if that happens here in America? Will your allegiance still be to King Jesus? I think what they could do as they're faced with knowing that something bad's about to happen to us, they had their sights set on the eternal kingdom of God, and that's how they were to go and be a citizen of the King Jesus and be the euangelion, the messengers that Christ died and he rose again from the grave and is now seated at the right hand of the Father and has called us to push out the message of the kingdom of God. Let's pray.